0: You guys tonight, hey, thank you for braving the cold. Thank you for coming out. We are grateful that you guys are here. Um, I'm grateful that you guys are here. Welcome to Red Rocks Young Adults and our series called How to Social. How to Social, and um, it's important actually how we socialize. I think sometimes um, when we started this series, I was like, What's the importance, Lord, of, of the way that we interact? What's the importance of the way that we treat each other? But scripture actually says in John 13, um, or actually. Yep, in John 13 that we will know that people will know how we love God and that they will be able to see Jesus on our lives by how we treat other people. It says this, it says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, that people will see Jesus on our lives, that people will see Christ in us and through us by how we treat each other, by how we interact with each other, by how we treat our spouses and our siblings and our roommates and our coworkers, that the world will actually see Jesus on us by how we social. And I wanted to talk to you tonight about this idea of encouragement. And I actually think that uh, maybe it's a timely message because when I walked in the room tonight uh, for prayer, um, and for those of you who are watching online, this might sound a little different, but in this room there was just a tangible feeling of discouragement. And I think that what God wants to communicate to all of us tonight is that it is possible for us to live a life of power and grace and effectiveness, but that we must breed and live in an environment that is encouraging we must bring an atmosphere to every sphere of influence that we are a part of that is encouraging. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 and then in Acts chapter 9 if you want to mark it. And it says this in Acts chapter 4 verse 32. This is the dawn of the church, the beginning of the church, and it says this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and, um, so that no one that had anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, everybody say great power. Great power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and with great grace, everybody say great grace, great grace. was upon them. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, A Levi, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. If we are going to live in great grace and we are going to live in great power, we must foster an environment within us and without us that is deeply, profoundly encouraging. That we can have and we can live in a time of the church that was just like an Acts 2, Acts 4 type of church, but we must foster encouragement. In fact, we must be sons or daughters of encouragement. And so I titled tonight, if you are taking notes, son of encouragement, son of encouragement. And so let's bow our heads, ask God to bless us and be with us. God, we thank you and we love you. I thank you for every single person in this room and then I thank you for people watching online. I thank you for every single soul that you have saved and you have redeemed. I pray that we wouldn't leave this place without feeling encouraged. I pray that we wouldn't leave this place without feeling your hope and your love and your profound generosity towards us. God, we we praise you. I just love you so much. May your love be mighty in this room tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, how many of you had a nickname in high school or in college? Nickname, okay, amen. Like Squint's Paladoras, or like Fatty, or like, you know what I'm saying? The, I don't know, hopefully it wasn't Fatty. Maybe you're really skinny, they called you Fatty, and you're like, Hey. But, okay, you know, like, it's fine, um, right? But everybody has a name and a nickname, and maybe it was given to you as a term of endearment. I had a nickname in high school, and um, I would love if it was a term of endearment. I do not believe so, though. Um, and in high school, um, I got—how many of you remember, like, the very first time, like, you got your license and you drove, Right? It was so cool. It was so rad, man. It was so absolutely like terrifying, right? But it was like so cool uh, because you're finally free and you're finally on the road and you're finally getting on the highway. And the very first month that I had my car, I had a Bronco 2 1988. Give it up for classic cars. Um, Well, kind of classic. I mean, it barely ran, but it's fine. You know, and and it was, it was the first month of me using and driving my car that I'm on my way to school. And I, I totally, like, my car goes, dum, dum. and I'm like, oh. And I look, look down, and I'm like, oh, I'm out of gas, man. And, um, and so I call my girlfriend, Kristen, and I'm like, hey. And I'm like, hey, my car's not really working. She's like, that's weird. Your dad just worked on it this weekend. And I'm like, I know, right? It's so weird. Well, I, um, I actually, like, ran out of gas. And she's like, you ran out of gas? And I was like, yeah, dude. And she's like, Jesse, how hard is it to look at your fuel? gauge. And I'm like, very hard. Because when you are 16 years old, like how hard is it to drive your car? Like you get in, right? And you open the door and you're like, and you sit in your seat and you're like, oh God, oh my Lord. You know, and you turn the ignition, but like my dad would get angry because I would always like start it too line and like long and grind the starter, you know? And I was like, okay, so just a little start, just a mini start, you know, like I'm so nervous. And then you you go in reverse down the driveway, right? So you're like, okay. You know, and you're like, rear view mirror, side view mirror, rear view mirror, side, like, it's just like, you know what I mean? And literally, you guys, I remember this as a 16, I dis- distinctly remember this feeling. Like I remembered like getting in the car and being like, okay, and you would use your right foot for both the gas, we know this now, and the brake, but I had to conscientiously be like, don't use your left foot. Like I had to be like, I had to be like, don't use your left foot on the brake because I wanted to for whatever reason. And I was like, no, just one foot, only one foot at uh, the whole time, only one foot. Like it literally, like I had to think so hard. And then, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when, when you get on a highway, like when you get on a highway, like it is like, it is literally like, you just want to put a sign on that's like, yo guys, like flip a coin, this could end in all of us dying or really great. <laughs> like, I'm not sure, you know? And like, I'd get my car up to like, you know, 60 miles an hour and I'd put on my blinker and I'd be like, everybody just get out of the way. <laughs> like. Just move, because I'm so scared right now, you know? And, like, I'd finally get over, and it was just like, oh, my God. So so she's like, how hard is it to look at your fuel gauge? And I'm like, it's so hard. Like, it's so hard. I just can't even focus on the millions of things. And she's like, whoa, okay. Like, I'm going to come pick you up and take you to school. And so that argument, like, works for me the first time. But then, like, two months later... (laughs) I'm like getting ready for prom and I get my makeup done, I get my hair done, I get my nails done, I'm driving and it's like clunk clunk. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like literally like not smart. <laughs> and I'm on the side of the road like, oh this is terrible, right? And my dad, I'm like dad, my dad comes pick me up. And that Monday, cause it's high school, right? That Monday I walk in and I'm like, oh sup Jerry. And he's like, oh sup Conoco. And my nickname for the rest of high school, the next two years, was a gas station. And I was like, I'm going to remember all of you in heaven. Like, so much so that even, like, people would be like, oh, hey, Conoco, in my yearbook, they'd be like, Conoco, never change, Stacy, you know? And I'm like, "Oh, like, but listen, (laughs) sometimes, sometimes our habits become our namesake. And sometimes our routines become our reputation. If you don't believe me, I mean, look at the names that we give to athletes and to people that we love. We call Marshawn Lynch, we call him beast mode. Why? Because something in his brain, like, clicks on, and he's in, like, beast mode. And then he, like, rolls through people like a bowling ball, right? Or we call Sean White, I just, I actually just heard this term, didn't know this was his thing. We call him the flying tomato. (laughs) Because a nobody flies in the air like Sean White in half pipe and ain't nobody got hair like Sean White, or at least they used to, right? He is the flying ginger and so Oh, we call, we call Elon, uh, Elon Musk, they've been calling him Tony Stark, which I think is super cool, because he's an inventor, and all of us are gonna get Iron Man suits someday. It's gonna be so awesome because of him. And we call Chad Brugman right, the pastor of disaster, because he never stops making fun of cats. And, and so all of the cat people are like, it is a disaster. It is though, right? And at the dawn of the church, at the dawn of the church, there was a man, named Joseph, whose reputation was so recognized and whose actions were so prevalent and so, um, so well known by everybody that they gave him a name that fit him better than his birth name. And Jewish people, they would name their kids, and they thought a lot about it, and they prayed a lot about it, and his nickname actually fit him better than this name, Joseph, and his name was Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. And he was gregarious and affirming and kind. And he would walk into a room. He was one of those people. He would walk into a room and he would bring this atmosphere. And not only did everybody feel better, but everybody was better because he was there. He would walk into a room and church. I don't know if you know this, but every single one of us, we have an atmosphere that is based on the condition of our heart. And we bring it into every space that we walk in. And people may not know our heart motive and we might not say it to them, but they can feel it like an atmosphere. And we create this atmosphere around us. And he would walk into a room and everybody would feel more powerful and everybody would feel more encouraged and everybody would feel more kind. He was a son of encouragement. And this isn't the only time where the Bible talks about a person being the personification of God's encouragement. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing and he says, We went to Macedonia on a mission trip to share the gospel and to spread the good news. And when we got there, he said we were met with conflict almost immediately. And he said we had conflict on the outside and he said we had fear on the inside. He said nothing is going right here. We were deeply discouraged. He says, but God... And our God is an encouraging God. If you feel discouraged tonight, he is an encouraging God. It is what he does. It says, but God who encourages the discouraged, he did what? He sent a man. And we were greatly encouraged through him. And this man, Titus, walked in the room and they felt deeply encouraged. Barnabas would walk in a room and they would feel so encouraged. He was a son of encouragement. What does it feel like, young adult, when you walk in a room? What does it feel like? Each of us brings an atmosphere that we have to take responsibility for, myself included. We walk into a room, whether it's our roommates, or maybe it's our job, or maybe it's, you know, whatever. We walk into a room and people feel the atmosphere of the condition of our hearts. And what would people say about you and about me? Would they say, that is a son of encouragement, that is a daughter of encouragement, or would they say, that is a daughter of discouragement? That is a son of stress. That is a son of frustration. What would they say about the atmosphere that we bring to the world around us? Because I believe that God wants to build his kingdom. And part of the way that he builds his kingdom, if you'll let me build a case, is through the way that we encourage the people around us that he can actually build disciples and he can actually build his church by all of us in the room deciding that we are going to be sons and daughters of encouragement. The Bible says this about Barnabas in Acts 9. Barnabas was so encouraging to one man that it literally changed the game when it came to the way that the gospel was shared and who it was shared to. It says this, in, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 26, and then he came, meaning Saul had come to Jerusalem and he attempted to join the disciples. and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, how he spoke to him, and how on, at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and he disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers, meaning the apostles, heard this and learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea, and then they sent him out as an apostle. To Tarsus. So the church all throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. And it was built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord, let it be so in this church. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. There's a man named Saul in scripture. And most of you probably know who he is. When we meet Saul, a.k.a. Paul, in scripture, he is a murderous Pharisee. And his whole goal, his whole drive when we meet him is to eliminate the birth of Christianity, the continuance of Christianity, and Christians themselves. And so when we meet him, I mean, he is, like, he's standing at the sidelines while, like, like, Christians gets, get murdered. And then he's, like, writing letters to people so he can imprison Christians. And he is just fierce. Well, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus actually says to him, which is so cool, we're going to do a series on the voice of God after this. And he talks to him. And he says, he says, um, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you per- persecuting me? And he looks up and he's like, well, what? I'm sorry. And, he's like, and then he goes, who's this? And he's like, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he's like, oh, my bad, right? And he has a moment where like the scales fall off of his eyes. And for the very first time, this dude sees the world spiritually the way he should see the world. And it changes his whole life. And he's like, I need to tell everybody about this. And he starts preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. And then he's like, I need to find brothers and sisters in Christ and kind of team up. And so he walks up to the apostles and he's like, hey, guys. Okay, look, I know that a few months ago, like I was imprisoning your kids. Um, but did life change now? Life's changed. And um, I want to be in, man. I want to be in the crew. I want to be in the club. want to be apostle. And like they all look at him and they're like, no. Like get out, right? And then Barnabas steps up and he begins and it says he places them before the apostles and he begins to speak life and what he sees in Christ over this man. he begins to encourage him and he vouches for everything that Saul slash Paul is. He said he saw God and he preaches and he disputes among uh, the Hellenists. And Saul is welcomed into the fold. And because of Barnabas' ability to encourage, because of Barnabas' desire to encourage this man and speak life over this man and his calling, he was then commissioned and he was probably the most influential apostle of all time. And so when I say that it is important that we encourage, I'm not just like saying that for myself. It's because a man encouraged a man's call. And because of that, Christianity spread to people like you and me, non-Jews. And we can build the kingdom, Red Rocks Young Adults, we can build the kingdom through the environment of encouragement that we foster around them. We can build the church through the environment of encouragement that we bring and the atmosphere that we bring. But we must decide to be sons and daughters of encouragement. So what's the state of our hearts tonight? And how, how do we even begin to encourage such a discouraged world how do we even begin, begin to bring light and hope to such a discouraged world? And so the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about tonight is this, is that we dig for gold in people. We begin by digging for gold in people. When I was growing up, we had a thing called frontier days in grade school. I know they have like Cheyenne frontier days. That's not it. It was like when you were in fifth grade and you wore a cowboy hat and you pretended like you were a settler, right? Right. And you would go downtown to downtown Golden, and we would go to the river, and they taught us how to like pan for gold. And so all the kids like sat there with like our little pans. And we, it was so cool, actually, looking back. It was really rad. But we would pan for gold, and you would dig up a bunch of dirt, and you would place it in the sifter. And above the water, you would begin sifting just gently above the river, just sifting very gently. And the pebbles would eventually kind of move down because they were a little bit more dense and eventually you would see little tiny flakes, and it was so rad, of gold. And as a fifth grader, you're like, I'm rich, you know? <laughs> this is not true, it was like worth a penny, you know? But I was like, this is so cool. And literally we spent the whole afternoon, we were so obsessed with it, and we would patiently wait and patiently sift and just wait and wait and wait, and every single time there was gold in that sand. And when it comes to God's kids, when it comes to his creation, When it comes to the people that he made, there is gold in every single person. Sometimes we have to dig a little bit. Sometimes we have to sift a little bit more. Some of them, you got to like be patient for a really long time. But... There is always gold in every single person that God made, even if you have to dig for it. I'm sorry, Barnabas looked at Paul and he said, I see this man. I see everything that he is in Christ and I see everything that he is going to be. And listen, if you believe in the saving work of Jesus, then it is our mission as Christians to see the saving work of Jesus in people's lives. To look for it, to dig for it until we find it. It is our mission to see people the way that God sees people. That's our mission. And aren't you grateful, church? I know I am for the people in your life that have dug for gold in you. Like, aren't you grateful for those men? Aren't you grateful for those women that have actually looked at you and dug for gold? I was thinking this week of all of the people in my life that have just dug and dug and dug until they found the gold in me. I thought of Amy McDonald, who was one of my first coaches in track. And she was, I was like, braces and gangly and braids falling out. And she was like, that girl, gold. And I was like, what? You know, and she was like, (laughs) I think of like my sophomore chem teacher. Who enlightened me and looked at my brain and said, You have like a, you've got a great mind for science. And I love science even to this day. I think of my grandma who would talk about how, as a kid, at some of the most discouraging points of my life, she was like, Jess, you've always been an orator. I remember you giving speeches as a toddler. Like, I remember these people, my chaplain, Scott Werner, who was the very first man to have ever lent me a platform so that I could preach. And I think to myself, these people saw something in me that was beyond my inadequacies, praise God, that was beyond my humanity. And they dug for gold and they said... I see what you got there. And I'm so grateful, church. I'm so grateful that they did. Aren't you grateful for the people who dig for gold in you? And it's important that when we dig for gold, that we immediately speak about it. The moment that you see an encouragement in someone else, you should just say it. Craig Rochelle puts it this way. He says, if you think it, you say it. If you think it, you say it. He says, when I think it, I say it. When I think it, I spray it. He's so funny. But he's like, he's like why would you withhold a blessing? Why would you ever do that? You see someone with blessing on their life. You see someone with encouragement on their life. And I was thinking about that. I was like, why would we withhold a blessing? I think sometimes maybe we withhold it because we're afraid if we build up the calling of another or we build up the um, abilities of another or we build up the character of another, that it will actually diminish our character. As if the kingdom wasn't big enough for all of us. Maybe maybe we're scared to build up another person because we think it's going to give them a big head or we think like man they're going to get overly confident. So I shouldn't tell them like how great that thing was that they did or how great that report was that they did or how you know how awesome they are at that thing because I don't want them to like, you know. And I was listening to Steve Furtick preach about a season where their church was growing and it was growing and it was growing and it was growing and um it was awesome, but it was overwhelming. And he said, at one point, he went to one of his life groups, and he just showed up at one of his life groups um, event one night. And a man there said, hey, Stephen, I want you to know, man, I've been praying for you. And I've been praying, man, that you just, man, you just stay humble. And he was like, sweet, dude, like, thanks. Um, But I could really use you praying for me that I would be confident (laughs) right now. When it comes to our blessing, there is a, we live in a critical world We live in a world that is diseased with discouragement. It is plagued with hopelessness, and it is just looking for a drop, for a word from somebody else about how it's okay, about how it's worth it, about how it's dignified and it's got some talent. It's just waiting for somebody to speak that kind of life into it, and he's like, that's great, but like, that's great you think I should be humble, but listen, I could really use like some encouragement right now. And listen, I need you to understand this tonight that all we have to do is encourage someone else and we can leave it to God to humble them. All we have to do, our only job is to speak life, is to speak life, is to speak life. When you see it, say it. When you see it, say it. I mean, for me, like the moment I think something, I'm like, I'm texting this girl or I'm calling this dude. Like the moment you think it, just say it. Speak it and then let God be the one that deals with the aftermath of how that thing goes. The second thing is this, we dig for gold. And the second thing is we pour belief into people. That word encourage in the Merriam-Webster's, it says to give support, confidence, or hope to someone, to give support to someone, excuse me, so that they will continue to do something. You know what he's saying? He's like, you need to give belief to someone so that they don't give up. You need to give belief so that they don't quit or they continue to do what they're doing. Lend belief to them. When I was in college, I studied this thing called self efficacy. And it's a psychological phenomenon, it's a psychological term. Um, and basically, what it means is a person's belief in their own capability and um, their own ability to execute a certain behavior. And so, it's their belief in their capability, self efficacy. And what this man, his name is Albert Bandura, what he originally thought was that a person believes they are capable because they actually are capable. So he said that your capability lent to or informed your belief about your capability. In other words, LeBron James is capable of slam dunking. Therefore, he thinks I'm capable of slam dunking, right? But what Albert Bandura found through a variety of studies, and you can look it up yourself, is that actually it was the other way around. And this is nuts because this is faith and this is rad. He said, it's actually the opposite. He said, actually a person's belief about their capabilities informs them actually being capable is the opposite. So if a person believes he can, he actually can. And so it's the whole like, you know, little engine that could like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think. That's all LeBron James does. And then he slam dunks and he's, you know, he's seven foot, so that helps. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and so then he can, which is good news for some of us in here, because all that's been spoken over you is belief, and so you're like, I think I can. And then there's a whole posse of us that are like, wow, I've never actually heard anything like in my brain that says, I think I can. And this idea of self-efficacy is what lends us to the ability to be effective in our calling, It is the belief. It is the faith. And so what would it look like if a whole church started to lend belief to one another? Started to lend belief to one another. The word encourage, encourage, the Latin word "en" means to pour in. And then the word courage. And so what it actually means is that we take courage and we pour it into somebody else. It means we look at a person in our life and we're like, man, I know. Like, I know that right now, like, you've got some gifts and you've got some talents and you've got some dreams. I know you've been discouraged. I know you don't think it's going to happen for you. I know that, man, it looks right now like, like you've got pressure on the outside and you've got fear on the inside. But listen, I think you can do it. I actually think you can. I think that it's possible. I think that, man, and I'll go with you and I'll help you. Listen, lady, I know that right now, like you've got dreams of being married and you feel like so inadequate because you've only seen a broken home and you've only seen a broken marriage and you've only seen a broken family. But can I just tell you that God can redeem anything and that God can make it possible for you to have the marriage that you always dreamed of. And listen, I'm going to walk with you and we're going to listen. I won't go on your dates or anything because that'd be weird, (laughs) but you can do this. And so all of a sudden it's going from, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, to, I think you can. I think you can. I think you can, friend. I think you can. And I will be with you and I will walk with you. The crazy thing about this phenomena of encouraging and pouring out courage and pouring out belief and pouring out life into other people is the Bible, I was remembering it this week. The Bible actually says, and Doug talked about it, that the generous will prosper. The generous will prosper. And those who refresh others will they themselves be refreshed. And the Bible says this in Malachi. It says um, that if we give to God specifically, it will be given back to you. Pressed down, shaken, and pouring over. And I was reading in the ESV and it says this. Sorry, I don't know where I am in my notes. Proverbs 11. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. And God says, look, I know you thought that was like super cool. Sorry, wrong, wrong drug. Super cool what you did there, encouraging other people, watering other people. But I promise you, press down, shaken. I'm not gonna make it pour over because that would totally suck for the people who have to clean it up. Some of you walked in here, and you're feeling so discouraged and so empty. And you're like, I don't have a thing to give. Maybe you just try. Because God says, if you give to somebody else, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you can't outgive me. That's what God says. You can't outgive God. You can't out outgive his love. You can't outlove his love. He's like, maybe you should try just encouraging. And I know what it is, church. I can speak from personal experience to not have a voice around that is giving you encouragement and to just not stop. And to just not stop. And then in my quiet time, I'll be alone with God. And he's like, I got you, and I'm for you, and I'm with you, and I'm behind you. And then I go out, and I'm like, I'm encouraging everybody I see and everybody I know. And I'm just gonna not. It's just hard, but let's just keep going. And then he's like, I got you, and I'm with you, and I'm for you. Those who refresh others will they themselves be refreshed? And the last thing is this: is seeing people and seeing the potential in people. Saul walks into the room and nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody wants to interact with him. And they're like, look, we're going to kick you out. Like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like, get out, right? And then the Bible says this, that Barnabas took him and he placed him in front of the apostles. And he began to speak life and encouragement. And he saw past Saul's past. (laughs) He saw past it. And he saw beyond everything that he did. And he saw potential in him. A few uh, months ago we were back at retreat and I was sitting in prayer in one of our sessions I think Connor was preaching that night, and um, I was sitting there in prayer, and God, like, distinctly gave me a name, and he distinctly gave me a word. I'm sorry if that sounds weird, but I walked up to this kid, and I was like, hey, look, man, I don't want to be weird. Like, you can just schluff it off. If it's not from God, totally cool, whatevs. My feelings will be hurt, but hey, man, I just, um, I just think, like, God wants you to know he's with you and that he's with you in your call to be in ministry. You're called, Right? And um, he looked at me and he's like, well, I know that. And I was like, okay, cool. So that's, uh, that's all good. And he's like, but I'm just so afraid. And he's like, and I've got this past where I've like made decisions that are just kind of like sporadic and I can't seem to commit and I can't seem to, I don't have what it takes and I'm scared. And I was like, oh, bud, welcome to the club. <laughs> like, like, welcome to the club where we're all afraid and we're all unprepared. Welcome, man, where you just feel inadequate, but you love God anyway. Like, welcome. Yeah. It's a great place to be. And I said, I know you're afraid, and I know you're scared, and I know you don't think you have what it takes. But listen, man, can I just tell you that, like, I think you can. not I think you can. not A church that builds up each other. A church that believes in one another, a church that pours out love and pours out confidence into one another. Barnabas brings Saul and is so aggressive, it's so awesome. He's like he brings him and then he like places him in front of all the apostles. And he says, This dude, this dude may have had a past, but I see past his past. I see everything that God has for him. He's a preacher, you should hear him. He's amazing. And he, he, nobody can fight with the Hellenists because they're too heady and they're too Greek, like they're too amazing. But this guy can't, and he will undergo persecution. He already has. I'm telling you, this dude has gold in him. This dude can do it. I believe he can. And I was thinking this week about our generation. And honestly, this is kind of like what I feel like I came here to do maybe a little bit tonight, or I hope God wants to do tonight. But, man, I was thinking of this week about our generation and about how many discouraging things are said about us. I mean, it started when we were, like, teenagers. And it was, like, they're so entitled and they're in their phones and, like, they can't communicate. It was, like, disparaging. And it didn't stop, like, into our 20s. And it was just, like, they're, you know, they don't work hard and they're lazy and they don't know anything, but they act like they do. And it was just, like, whoa dude. And I was praying about this like hatred towards millennials. I was. And I felt God say just every single vessel that I've ever used has had a deep disdain on them before I released them into the projects and into the things that I had asked them to do. And he said, This generation is disdained because this generation is bringing a shift. So I don't know where you're at tonight, but I was reading a New York Times article. So let's get a little unspiritual here. Let's bring it back to earth. And this guy, Nicholas Kristof, he wrote this um, article about the millennial generation he said, I know what everybody says about the millennials. I know that they, you know, people say they're lazy and they're entitled and that they're immoral and that they're sloppy. He's like, but let me tell you, it was almost like he did a Barnabas. And he's like, but let me tell you statistically, statistically, what's there? And he says, this, is, this generation is the most altruistic generation of all time, period. There's nobody that even holds a candle. They volunteer. They sign up for Teach for America in torrents. They volunteer their hours after college more than anybody. He said this, statistically, 87% of millennials give to charity. We outpace all of our elders by, like, hordes. And this isn't a brag session. This is to tell you that God says, look, there is something on this generation that I want to use, that I want to bolster We are driven. He said, this generation is driven and it's not for their 401ks. It's for the marginalized. We have a hatred towards racism. We have a disdain towards sexism. We don't like seeing people being put down. We have a desire and a passion for change. And I believe that there is something that needs to happen in our nation, that there is something that needs to happen in our church, that there is something that needs to happen in our faith. There needs to be a return to Christ. There needs to be a return, um, a movement of holiness. And I believe that it is our generation that will do it. So if you are feeling a disdain, a discouragement, a lack, maybe read that article by Nicholas Kristof that says, I know this is what everybody else says, but I see gold. And I was listening to Billy Graham's messages this week and his old sermons this week, and I saw something that just sparked my heart, and maybe it'll spark yours. And so, watch this. Stand on the verge of a historic moment that could have an unparalleled and unprecedented impact in a world that is confused, perplexed, and frustrated at this hour. And I'm convinced of one thing, that during the past few weeks, we have seen an easing of world tension. And I believe that one of the contributing factors to the easing of world tension and the prospects of an era of peace is the great spiritual awakening that we believe is taking place in many parts of the world. I saw it, and it like was 1955, and I was like, oh my gosh, that feels like right now. You know what I love about millennials? Millennials are deeply compassionate, and they are deeply driven. Jesus said that perfect religion is caring for widows and orphans, for the people who don't mean anything, for the people who don't contribute anything. And it is our generation that statistically is taking care of them. Would you guys stand? If you're in here tonight and you feel discouraged, what I would love for this next portion, and this might sound weird to you, it might be different for you, but if the prayer team could come up front, and then if every single person in here would just commit to just asking God, God, I know that you're going to encourage me tonight, but would you just give me one person to encourage? Would you just give, place one person on my heart to encourage tonight? If we would be a people that dig for gold, if we would be a people that pour out courage, if we would be a people that see potential in other people, what a church, what a son and daughter of encouragement would we be and we would bring an environment that would actually shift our worlds, our churches, our workplaces. With every head bowed, I just have one question. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would like to invite you at this time to meet him. He is my Lord and Savior. He is my King. I met him when I was 18 years old. He is providential and he is powerful. He listened to his father and became a human being so that he could dwell among us and live with us. He lived a sinless life and then died on a cross for all of humanity and paid the price for our sins that we should rightfully pay. The discouragement that you feel is actually from Satan because Jesus has alleviated the discouragement from your sin. The shame that you feel is actually Satan because Jesus has alleviated the, the shame because of the cross and because of the resurrection. And so that's not Jesus. What is Jesus is acceptance. What is Jesus is a son of encouragement. What is Jesus is full of love and propensity and power. He's so graceful. He's so kind. He's so gentle. He's our friend. He's our prince of peace. He's our warrior. He's our king of kings. And if you're in here and you don't know him, on the count of three, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and receive him in your heart for the very first time. One, Jesus loves you so much and he promises that he will walk with you through every discouraging circumstance too. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. He indwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit and he guides and he protects your life. And three, the Bible says you get heaven forever. If you would like to receive Jesus, just put your hand up nice and high. Amen, I see you. Amen. Amen, God, we thank you so much that it is by your spirit that we're saved. It is by your spirit that we are resurrected. God, we thank you that we get heaven forever and that we get your power and your presence in the here and now. I pray that this room would encourage one another. I pray that we would leave encouraged, God. And that, God, if there is a spirit of discouragement in here, God, that it would leave in Jesus' name. God, that people would understand that, um, God, that their minds are soil. And that you just need to clear your mind. You need to clear out the crud that's in there so that God can encourage you. If there is something that's stopping up your heart, that's not Lord, the Lord. If there is fear that's stopping up your heart, listen, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And so you've got a fear in here, is because you don't fully comprehend the love of God. God, I pray that tonight that you, people would feel love, that they'd feel encouraged, that they'd feel empowered by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word and for your person. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.